So we're going to start our esteemed panel. I'm going to moderate this, just FYI, this is my first panel to ever moderate, so I don't know what's going to happen. All right. Can everybody see us? Thank you. All right, so first off, can you tell us your name, pronouns, if you feel comfortable sharing, and how you feel comfortable identifying? How is your identity intersectional? Uh, my name is Isaac. I use he, him pronouns and identify as queer, trans, Christian, um, and multiracial. And that's how they intersect. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. My name is Melanie. Um, I identify as queer. I also identify as a Filipina American, an immigrant, first generation. Um, and a struggling law school graduate. <laughs> my name is Phoebe, my pronouns are she, hers. Um, I identify as queer or gay, um, and I'm Chinese Canadian, I love cats. <laughs> um, uh, my name is Connie, or CJ, uh, I identify uh, as queer or gay or lesbian or living into trying to be a post-patriarchal female. <laughs> um, I also identify as disabled and have since I was 19 years old with hidden disabilities uh, around chronic fatigue syndrome and chemical sensitivity. Uh, and as far as intersectional goes, um, I also feel like I have an intersectional identity as a Christian in a family of non-Christians. I was raised new age, new thought, and I've been a leftist political person forever where if you're a Christian, you stay in your closet lest anybody not trust you. All right, thank you. And just to clarify, my name is Elisa. I use she, her pronouns. I identify, I think like Connie, gay, lesbian, queer, they all work for me. I'm also a cat lady, thank you, Phoebe. Um, a recovering Southerner and recovering Pentecostal who still really likes charismatic stuff, so that's complicated. <laughs> all right. So what's your journey with sexuality and or gender identity and faith been like? Um, I, I feel like I have to categorize faith and then the church. Um, I guess with faith, uh, the journey has been, um, it's, it's been challenging, or was challenging because like I grew up also AOG, um, and from elementary school I was just taught that gay people were going to go to hell. Um, so that's the narrative I had in my head from a very young age. Um, and so um, unlearning that uh, was very challenging and you just live your life um, constantly repenting anytime you have a homosexual thought. Um, <laughs> or, um, or just asking God to continually save you because you keep falling short because your attraction to someone of the same gender, at least at that time, um, didn't go away. So um, I guess it was challenging with that in my faith. Um, and then, of course, later on, I was definitely able to reconcile that completely, thank God. Um, but I think also a challenge um, with the church um, has been challenging because of being intersectional. So growing up, in a very conservative church as at that time identifying as queer um, was not okay. I was kicked off the worship team when the worship leader outed me. <laughs> um, and so I had to leave the church, um, which was also a beautiful thing because it led me to an affirming church, which I don't know that I would have 
um, seeked out unless I would have been kicked out of this church. Um, and so I, I found a new church that was 100% affirming me as, as a queer person. Um, it's where I, where I was able to find healing and learn the clobber passages and how they're all just, um, just ways to hold people down and oppress people, and it's not God's truth. Um, but then even that space became very challenging um, because that was my home for 10 years. And then, uh, but then coming out as trans in, a, in an all gay and lesbian white community um, was very challenging because um, that meant people had to use different pronouns with me. That means that now we're using name tags and I'm asking you to also share your pronouns so it's normalized in our community. Um, and that was, it made people uncomfortable. Um, and I got a lot of people pushing back on that. And so um, it was a challenge again to have to bring my trans identity to the space that was no longer safe. Um, and then, then in addition to that, then bringing up race um, and trying to make our space more inclusive of people of color. Um, and then getting a lot of pushback on that and then our church eventually folding um, because we couldn't be in all agreement. So then losing home again um, was also very challenging as an intersectional person. And so here I am restarting again, <laughs> hopefully in a space that integrates all of our identities and validates them um, and accepts them. So. Um, so I grew up in a Catholic home, um, but I, I don't know if this is very typical of Filipino homes, but um, I would call myself a Christmas Catholic. Uh, you know, Catholicism and the Filipino identity are so intertwined. Uh, they've been colonized by Spain for like 300 years or whatever. So um, we treated uh, any belief in God as sort of, this is a thing you do. Um, you go to this, you go to this school, you learn these things, you learn these passages. And so I didn't really have a really strong tie towards God. It wasn't until um, maybe by the time I was 16 that I first started realizing who God is. Um, I learned more about who he was and started actually walking into becoming Christian when I was entering college. Now, the funny thing is that was also the same time I started realizing I was queer. And so I knew the stereotypes about Christians. Christians hate gay people, they hate queer people, they hate anything that is same-sex attraction or whatever. And so I was really scared to even try to become a Christian. I thought, what am I, why am I even bothering? I don't belong here. Um, but, and, or going back a bit, I started attending a college um, group uh, in a varsity for Christian, for Christian people and it really hit me when someone was giving a testimony who was also a Filipina woman and she was saying how she was saved from God from her same-sex relationship. And I remember it hit me in the, right in the gut. It made me think, oh shoot, I really just shouldn't bother knowing God at all. But you know, almost as soon as she finished her testimony, I heard God, one of the few times I really heard God like talk to me and come to me and say, say something to me with words, he said to me, Melanie, don't worry about that. I wanna get to know you. This is all noise. Get to know me first and I promise you all those questions you have about who you are and who you like are going to be all resolved. But I do want you to know I love you and I want you to get to know me. So. Yeah, that was, that was kind of my journey, and now I'm here uh, 
I don't, I don't know how old I am in, in baby Christian years, maybe like five or something, or seven, I don't know. But I'm here, and um, you know, God's promise has been true so far. He has told me, you know, everything that has become true, and I feel super fortunate to, to be here too, because um, once, once God realized, God made me realize that I can be queer and can be Christian, the next step was, can I find a home? Because when I started telling people, my inner varsity friends, my church friends, and my other churches that I was like this, they all cast me away too. But even then, God was like, Christians are meant to have community. You are going to have community too. Don't give up on your search. And now here I am. So, <laughs> um, so just a little bit about my story. Um, I'm a pastor's kid. Um, grew up Assemblies of God uh, as well. Represent. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot there. <laughs> but um, basically, you know, I just grew up Christian and sincere in my faith um, from a very young age. And so when, you know, I went to middle school and started realizing, oh, I think I'm gay, that was a really traumatic experience because, like, I knew. Um, I knew what it meant, and I knew how my parents would see it. Uh, I remember, like, as a kid growing up in San Francisco, my parents uh, leading our church to go, you know, be part of the protest against Prop 8 and waving the signs, marriage equals one man plus one woman, and me going with them and waving the sign, having no idea what that was about, but just thinking, you know, like, this is what good cr Christians do, and I'm a good Christian, so I'm going to do it. And, and then... You know the irony. Years, a couple years later, realizing, oh no, I'm I'm gay, um, and so I was just very much like in this space of, oh God, why are you testing me? You're, this is a test. I need to prove myself um, to have faith to get through this, and I will be faithful, and I will not be gay, and I will fight this until you take it away from me. Um, and so, when I went off to, you know, Bible college, I was. I wanted to be a missionary, and I was thinking, yay, I get to escape this sinful San Francisco, <laughs> and it'll all be gone now, um, but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> um, and so when I was there, and I was still gay, <laughs> um, I was like, what? <laughs> yes, exactly. I was just like, okay, if it's not working here when I'm surrounded by Christians, and I'm still gay, how do I get rid of this? What do I do? And so I found a what was essentially a conversion therapy ministry and signed myself up and went through it. Um, and I was lucky in that it was milder than many that I've heard of that where you know, many very abusive things happen um, in conversion therapy where if, you know, if anyone doesn't know, that's essentially where they try to change your orientation um, just through many things. Uh, the program that I went through was very mild in that it was like a Bible study. Um, and so there were a lot of people, um, like the one that I went to was like a branch off the main one. The main one was like, we're here to help you with any kind of sin in your life if you have like, you know, adultery or drinking problems or drugs or whatever. Um, and then I went to the, the gay one. Um, and so, I went through it and for a while it seemed to work and I was 
really gung-ho about it and I was really excited and I became kind of their poster child and made a video for them and everything. Um, but then, you know, like a year or so later, I'm like, this made me love God more. I feel like I know my identity in Christ, but I'm still gay. <laughs> and so when I went home to San Francisco after college, I just really started deconstructing that and thinking like, what does this mean? Is it possible to be Christian and gay? And you know, I just started thinking about all, what does this mean if the only path to be a good Christian is to be straight and have a family and have kids and everything? What does that mean for intersex people, you know, who, you know, who are born with both parts or ambiguous or, you know? What does that mean for people who aren't able to bear children? Like, what does that mean? Is that any less of a family of redemption, of the creation process of like God in humanity if, you know, a queer couple adopt kids? Um, and I came to the conclusion, no. <laughs> like, you know, I think God's will for, you know, humanity is, you know, I just think of that verse, like, he sets the lonely in families. And, sorry. <laughs> um, and that's what I see he wants to do for, like, every person, regardless of their gender or sexuality. Family and is where God is leading with, like, church and everything. And so, um, I don't know. Do I, I don't know if, I'm, if I have more to say on that. I think, I think that's it. <laughs> uh, well, my journey with Jesus could kind of be summed up by saying that uh, Jesus was my answer to Marianne Williamson. Y'all seen those debates? Y'all know who Marianne Williamson is. When I when I say that I grew up New Age, New Thought. What she teaches, okay? Not only was that what my family was in, my family had been in that for three generations, going clear back to some of my great-grandparents, all right? You can imagine this was not a bad place to grow up being queer. I never heard that I was a sinner. I never want, no one ever told me that I had to be straight. I did, because this was in the 70s and 80s, I did get a lot of pressure to be bisexual, you know, the whole. But how do you know if you haven't actually tried it and wouldn't you like to do a, a three-way with me and my wife? You know, from church elders, okay? <laughs> so, you know, I, the purity culture was not something I was dealing with around my sexuality. <laughs> but I was in a space where when I became disabled, which I did at 19, that really was sinful, even though they didn't use the word. And there was a lot of shunning around that if you didn't get well or if you didn't at least pretend you were well. I watched my grandmother, who had been um, a founding member of the Church of Religious Science in Oakland, the very first one in the East Bay, be absolutely dropped by that church and her friends when she moved into dementia. They were just, they didn't want to be around it. They didn't want to touch her. And gradually, the same thing happened in my life. All of a sudden, all the people I had been around growing up were dropping away, 
And who were left were these hardcore Christian friends of mine from college, who I could not uh, convince to be New Age, though, Lord, help me, I tried. I knew that this was, you know, the thing of the future, and it was what they were supposed to do, but they just weren't willing to do it. But when they got around me, and especially when they got around my grandmother, there was something coming off of them that I had never experienced in the churches I'd grown up in that had told me that by thinking the right thoughts, I could be prosperous and I could be well and anybody could do that. What was coming off of them was this thing that seemed to value them even if they weren't prosperous and they weren't well. They had a patience with my grandmother and a love for me that I was so drawn to. But this meant I was going to be on the same side of the world as Anita Bryant, and how was I going to do that? I was an out-in-your-face Berkeley separatist dyke lesbian. <laughs> how does a person like that become a Christian? <laughs> well, long story short, my physical needs and my need for community were great enough that I eventually did. I joined an exodus group for a while. I ended up in a four-square church, so I know that Pentecostal thing. And I, I honestly couldn't have done it without the flat-out miracles, um, which I eventually had. And finally, I worked up the courage to come out, you know, officially as gay, or at that point trying to be ex-gay, to my Jesus freak cousins who said they'd known since I was a little kid, and that was fine since I was moving away from that. And they invited me to a deliverance service. And I went to this deliverance service in a Presbyterian church of all places. And on the other side of that, you know, when I got home over the next three days, I had a very genuine deliverance because God took the clobber passages and unclobbered them for me. <laughs> and in the middle of it, the, the woman I was with then who was also a Christian and had tried to fix herself but had gotten past that, called me with a word that was just exactly the right word for me. And all, you know, in that process, I became a full-on born-again Christian who went very much into the closet about the fact that she was still gay and was this left-wing political person, but began slyly during intercessory prayer, praying for Barbara Boxer and people on the side. <laughs> all right, awesome. Um, I'm going to go past the next two questions because I think we already answered them. Um, what do you wish people in this community understood about you? I think what's resonating with me in just my personal life, and so that's why I'm, I'll talk about this, um, I think being trans, um, you are doing a lot of advocating um, and educating people in every aspect of your life. Um, and my own family, I'm having to constantly push back and educate them and advocate for myself. In my work, I do that. Um, and we're currently in, in the healthcare system I'm in, I'm in, I'm in right now. It's, it's, very, it's very challenging having to like, get your identity validated and say you need certain things done because and that's what makes me feel safe. Um, and so I think, I think it's important for people to know that like being queer, trans, LGBTQI, or any marginalized community, um, it's very draining because the society at large doesn't understand you. Um, and so you're constantly having to push back. And I think, um, and, it, and also it's, I think it's, you're constantly having to put yourself in vulnerable positions, which is, takes a lot of emotional labor. Because every time I say, 
you know what, this doesn't make me feel safe, can we do this instead? Um, that's putting me at risk to hear, oh, that's not important, or actually that makes other people feel uncomfortable, so I don't know that we're gonna do this. Um, and so I think, um, I think it just, I guess, I don't know, I guess that's it, just understanding that um, it takes a lot for marginalized communities to have to speak up, um, and so I, it, it's, it's a responsibility of the people in the dominant group or the privileged group to really take a stance and um, do the legwork. Um, make us feel welcome, make us feel safe, make us be included. Um, don't just rely on us to do the work. One comment to that, and I think also really important, is to recognize that just because you might understand one identity doesn't mean you understand all of them, and that if you are coming from the majority, it's really your job to educate your own self about those things um, before asking more from the person that's marginalized. Yeah, um, I definitely echo what Isaac and Elisa said. Um, I think for me, um, just peeping my notes here, y'all, um, what do I wish people in this community understood about me? Um, that being queer is so crucial to my identity, but it's not the only thing. Um, I'm also an immigrant, I'm also Filipina, I'm also in a lot of debt uh, from school. Um, but, you know, that being said, I, I think one of, the, one of the problems is that you know, I can be one voice of all these communities, but I'm not the voice. Not None of us here are the voice of the entire community. So in investing, I, I wish people would invest in me, invest in my stories as much as they'd invest in, you know, all my homies over here. Um, and also just, you know, ask me about not gay stuff sometimes. Like, <laughs> I, I'm also really into Pokemon. I'm also really into, I don't know how racially biased the legal system is. Um, you know, there, there are so many things that are interesting to me, and I think, yeah, I, if there's one thing I wish the community could, could understand about me is that I'm interested in all these things, and like, let's, let's talk about them. Let's make space for them. Let's make space for all my friends who identify in all these different marginalized groups, and let's just get to know each other and have community, because I think that's the best way uh, we can all learn from each other. Um, one thing that I guess I wish Christians knew about me is that um, I, I get that it takes time. Like if you're not like in a fully affirming space yet, I get that it takes time. Like for me, it took me 22 years to come to like a good place with my sexuality and my faith and like, I get that, that's hard. Um, and some people may not arrive and, you know, maybe that's, you know, like, I, I accept that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I j like I hear what everybody's saying, just like, just the, I guess the exhaustion of being the person uh, to educate. Um, it's, it's kind of like this. We were talking about this on Friday um, when we were all just planning for this service. It's hard being the one to like confront people with yourself and uh, being the, the stumbling block that makes them take apart their whole theology and rethink things. And when I don't even want to do that necessarily, you know, like I just want to be your friend. I want to like get to know you one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and you know, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think that's just. 
Thank you for naming that. Um, the, the thing I wish people got about me most is um, my social security printout. You know the one you get that shows how much money you've made in your whole life and how much you know, benefits you will get when you retire? Mine is one long string of zeros, mostly, because of the disability. It's, it was only when I was pushing 50 that I finally got recovered enough to even think about working, and by then I was in a relationship with someone who was disabled and had to be a caregiver. So there have been all sorts of limits on it. So, you know, in our opening prayer, we say make room for this and that and this and that and rich and poor. <laughs> and I feel the poor part just like I feel the disabled part and because of those, those things. And, you know, that's not an identity that in white middle class places we tend to make much room for. Um, the second thing um, that, I, that I really wish people knew about was that when I made the decision to get out of non-inclusive churches and make the jump back to inclusivity, the biggest thing that I was giving up was the place that had been the most supportive of me around disability, because the church I'd been in for a long time was actually founded by a doctor who was one of the primary doctors um, in the whole Bay Area that treats people with chemical sensitivity. Because for the, for the day I walked in there, I, I had a, a level of, you know, accommodation around things that just, you know, was such a huge thing to my soul. So when, you know, what I value about this place and what I push for about this place, I push so hard for the disability issues because that's just as big a safety thing for me as the queer stuff um, is, and it's really, really super important to me. Thank you, everyone, for naming that. Um, in 30 seconds or less, 45 if you have to. Each of you define for us, well, how do you find home and how has coming out changed your idea of home? Well, I took some notes on this, so hopefully it'll be 45 seconds. I could talk really, really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Timing. Um, <laughs> uh, so me, home is not meeting the needs of the dominant group first and then squeezing in the needs of the marginalized. Um, home is where the most marginalized are at the center. It's where they are leading and setting the pace. Home is not centering decisions on what is most comfortable for the dominant and privileged groups. It is making decisions with the lens of what will bring freedom, healing, safety, and empowerment of the marginalized groups. Home is where we are diligent and intentional about caring for our marginalized community. It isn't waiting for the trans person to speak up about an issue and expecting that person to be the one to solve it. It's you looking ahead, looking around you, um, and the marginalizations around you, and also self-reflecting to look for and then eliminate barriers that prevent marginalized people from entering home and belonging to their own home. Home is rest. It is where I escape the world outside that invalidates, minimizes, and harms my existence. It's where I am rejuvenated and filled with the spirit, so I have the strength, resiliency, and courage to go back into the world. Fire, man. Preach it. Yeah. Um, home for me is some place that exists um, and it persists. So home in my past has been something that's temporary, something I go, go from one to another every two years. But the fact that I'm here and I've been here and I think I'll continue to be, be here is great. And that's what home is to me. Um, I came out to my parents in December, uh, and they have since voiced that they don't want me to come out publicly until my dad retires from the church. Um, and I'm hoping that's in 2019. We've had long discussions about that. 
Um, and so since then, it's been kind of difficult because, you know, I, I also came out, like, I, I mean, I've been out to my best friend of, like, we've been friends since we were two and three, um, and she seemed to be affirming, but then recently she's kind of said, like, I don't know where I am on this with you anymore. Um, and that was hard because the year before, she had gotten married and I had been in her maid of honor and I had uh, thrown her a bridal shower and this past summer I threw her a baby shower. And, and so when she came to visit this summer, I had to have a real talk with her and say, I need to know where you're at with, it, with me because I, it's hard when, you know, I don't know if you're gonna stand beside me on my wedding day and be my maid of honor and throw me a bachelorette, and maybe a baby shower one day. Um, and so I guess what home is to me is always knowing where you're at with people, not having to know where the line is. Like some churches, you know, the line is, you know, you can come in and you can be part of us, but once you start wanting to serve, no, that's the line. You can't, you can't serve. Once you want to lead, oh, that's the line. You can't lead or, you know, do worship or do communion or get ordained, you know? So home is not having a line, it's the door is open. Um, one, of my, one of my best friends in her home, there's a, she has this poster that, that says, you belong here. And to me, that's what home is, you belong here. Uh, to me, home is where I can bring all my parts and not ever have to tell one of them, no, you have to be quiet today. You have, to, you have to just stay at home somewhere else and not come here because this is a part, you know, that you can't be here. Home is where I am not just, you know, where I am so much more than tolerated and included. Home is where I am celebrated and where every one of those parts is celebrated. And church home is where I get to be Jesus to y'all and y'all get to be Jesus to me, and together we all get to go out and be Jesus to the community and our world. That's home. Amen. Thank you, you beautiful, wonderful humans. To Haven, we bring our stories. We were pushed away, but we held on. We know depth because we were thrown down wells and had to claw our way up and out into the sun. We are warriors who fought for our faith and won it because we didn't get to walk away from ourselves. We didn't get to take a break from our lives, from the, when are you bringing home a boyfriend? Are you a boy or a girl? How do you know you're not straight if you haven't tried it? Isn't it just a phase? I want you to know I'm praying for you. How is your walk with God lately? We love you, but we don't agree with your lifestyle. It's not a sin to be gay, just to act on it. Love the sinner, hate the sin. You made a choice. Just don't tell your grandparents. You can't bring your boyfriend. We prayed about it and decided not to come to your wedding. You don't have to flaunt it in our face. What's your real name? These pronouns are just too confusing. What are you doing in this bathroom? Are you saying God made a mistake? Adam and Eve. The Bible is clear. Have you asked Jesus to change you? You just haven't prayed hard enough. <sighs> In the span of a life, it doesn't take long for a house to go from a home to an empty shell. 
Once you board it up and put chains on the doors, it becomes a condemned building. We stayed as long as we could, some longer than was good. When they wrote us out of the story, we created new narratives. We had to. There was living water inside of us, and water needs to flow, needs some place to go, thirst to quench, gardens to revive. When the foundations of the church crashed down on us, we grew roots and bloomed from the rubble and ash. The light shining through the stained glass turned us into a rainbow, making the colors of the kingdom visible. We couldn't deny God in our queer lives. Christ was not lost in our freedom. We present ourselves to you as part of your body and not as tokens, symbols, or burdens. Here are our hands. They are your hands. Look at our faces. They are your faces in the mirror, asking, are we safe with you? Will you celebrate us? We are children of God, and Haven is our home.